Welcome to Techlandia, a podcast about and for the technology industry, a place to learn, connect, and engage with leaders and thinkers involved in the technology industry. You can check us out at techoregon.org, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the latest edition of Techlandia, TAO's regular podcast series. I'm Skip Newberry, and today we have with us Paul Lisinski, who is with Edelman. Paul, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, we're excited to, to get your insight on the uh, ever-evolving media landscape. Um, wanted to start off by asking you if you could maybe talk a little bit about the recent Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, and what it says about the um, the overall state of play. Um, and maybe if you could start, too, by just essentially explaining a little bit about what the, the trust barometer is. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do even one more. So for people who don't know um, Edelman, we're uh, the largest independent PR firm in the world. Um, Tech-wise, we've got about 100-plus people in the U.S. that are part of what we call a tech specialty pool. And so we work with clients, uh, you know, everybody from uh, enterprise tech to consumer tech. And when people ask me, what do you do exactly? I've learned to sort of simplify it down to like, we just help our clients tell their story, whatever that is, whether that's a product launch or whether that's executive, you know, thought, uh, thought leadership or, you know, a million things in between. But that's, that's basically what I do. Um, and then, yeah, Edelman, we do a we do a survey. I think this was the twenty fourth year we've done it, um, and we we surveyed. Uh, I, I'm looking here. This year it was about thirty two thousand people, a lot of people in twenty eight countries. And what we're doing is measuring trust, and we're measuring trust in different entities like government, media, business, NGOs. And no great shock, the last. Uh, I got to say four or five years, like trust just tanked everywhere. Like nobody trusts anything and it's, it's really problematic. Um, you know, trust in the media is, is at an all time low. Um, this year, what we found is uh, sort of a rerun of the last couple of years where business, interestingly, businesses are the most, uh, are, are more trusted than the government than media. And, um, uh, but at the same time, businesses are sort of expected to, to lead. And, um, and there's a bit of a gap there where like, for example, in the U S more than 50% of people said that, you know, innovation is really not, uh, well-managed by business. So there's, there's kind of this, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really fluid situation in terms of, uh, you know, who, who people trust for information and to do the right thing and to, you know, to do more, good than harm, I guess you could say. So, um, you know, that's kind of my top line, you know, take on, on the, on the, on, on what we just launched at Davos about a month ago. Well, that's great. I mean, I think there's, there's a natural tension there that you've highlighted in those findings, um, that's highly relevant for a lot of our members who many of them are developing and working with cutting edge technologies, things like artificial intelligence. Um, some are operating in the climate tech space. 
uh, others are in biotechnology. And, and if you look at some of the areas where, you know, there's growing sort of distrust around motivations, business models, power dynamics, et cetera, a lot of times it's centered around those kind of emerging technologies. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you, do you see that continuing? You mentioned there's this trend line you're seeing over the last few years where there's this natural tension between innovation on the one hand and risk on the other. How would you propose that companies kind of navigate that? I just think uh, what we have seen, you know, in the research is that companies, they, 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 they need to stand for something. And it's not just for um, the customers of that company, but it's even for their own employees. Um, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen employees say that, you know, they expect that their CEO, you know, takes a stand on an issue or, um, or at least says something, right? Like not saying or doing anything is not really an option. And look, I, you know, I've been in Portland for a long time. I've worked with tons of, of our uh, tech companies, large and small. And I get it. Like when a company is just getting started, that's not really something. I mean, look, they're, they're trying to pay their employees and, you know, build a business. And it's like kind of the last thing um, on their mind is like, well, how am I going to, you know, contribute to like the, the larger, you know, kind of like climate issues that are happening or whatever. But, um, but, you know, really to, to be a good citizen, that's, that's what's, what's more and more expected. I'm wondering what are some of the ways that you're seeing companies kind of tackle that? Is it, is it, is it all over the board or are there certain kind of proven methods that folks are relying on? Like by way of example, there's a couple of companies we work with locally that, you know, have tried to develop um, sort of a, uh, a roadmap, if you will, of where they'll engage and what issues are important by starting with the survey of their employees internally and then saying, okay, from a volunteer effort in terms of how we show up in a community and what we maybe speak out on, these are the areas that we're going to kind of focus on. And, and you can contrast that with other companies in our membership that are just going to stay within kind of a narrow swim lane, as it were, related to their product and market and the customers that they're serving. So, so how do you, like, is there a one size fits all approach here or how, how are you seeing companies kind of navigate that? Well, no, there isn't. And you've given me a great, um, a great reason to pivot a little bit into the media discussion, because this is one of the things, right? We sometimes will have a client who says, Hey, we really need to tell, you know, a woman, a women in technology story. And so I say, okay, well, who are your women executives? Oh, we don't have any. So it's like, well, you don't have a story then, right? Right. And um, so, so I think that, you know, my my sort of brutally frank evaluation is that whatever it is, it has to be real and genuine. It can't be, you know, uh, we all heard the term greenwashing, but it can't be greenwashing. And I think that, excuse me, some of the examples would be, let's say you're a company that's a cloud provider, or AI. You know, both great examples. I think that we all know that, you know. Um, that's a very uh, resource-heavy um, industry, right? Like cloud computing and just the the energy that it takes, you know, to process, you know, AI um, algorithms and whatnot. You know, it's it's a tax on the economy. So, the, or not the economy, the the environment. So, one one example would be like, you know, how do you offset that? Um, are you making commitments to, you know, sort of be be a good citizen when it comes to the impact that your company is having on the environment. 
uh, and I think those are probably more um, more akin for 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 tech than something like a you know like a social like a socially uh, awareness stance. You know, it's more more along the lines of climate, more along the lines of offsetting like impact. Um, you know, but certainly it can it could also be you know giving back to the community. And of course, you know, Oregon has always uh, been very you know very pro um, that. Uh, so th- those are other examples. That's great. I mean, one of the areas that I think was highlighted in the uh, the, the trust barometer um, uh, report was was AI and artificial intelligence, and um, that seems to be an area that folks are both uh, a mix of excited and um, have some serious trepidation around. Okay, is it going to be a, a boon to society and make our jobs better? Or is it going to replace everyone's jobs and we're all going to be worse off for it? Or is it going to fall into the hands of a, you know, a nation state that is adverse to the U.S. and they're going to use it to their advantage? Or are we going to use it to solve some of the <clears throat> biggest societal issues that face us, right? So it's it seems to be relatively split. So I'm wondering for a tech company that is using AI or developing it, what what are some some things that you think they should be thinking about as they're looking at messaging? I um it, it goes back to what we were just talking about with greenwashing. You know, there's also the notion of AI washing, right? I think that when AI got really really hot with ChatGPT and everything else the last you know six to nine months, everybody decided they needed to have an AI story, and um some of it was legit. You know, if, if a company really is using AI in a meaningful way and there's a story that they can tell there, then by all means tell it, but you know, don't jump on a bandwagon because the, the media is very gun shy about that. Right. I mean, I think this is, this is another thing. Um, just again, getting into the media landscape, so many reporters, I don't know, maybe burned is not the right word, but you know, there is a sense that, you know, they'll, um, they'll cover an industry or they'll cover a, even a company, right. That they get excited about. And then in a year, you know, it's, it, it ended up being kind of a flash in the pan and they don't, doesn't make them look good or they could have spent their time on something different. So I think that, you know, AI is in the same boat, you know, reporters are incredibly, uh, vigilant with any pitches that have anything to do with AI. Like it has to be, it's gotta be real. That's a great point. And it, it kind of relates to this idea that as a tech company or any business, you kind of have to know your your customer in order to be effective in, you know, engaging them and and selling something to them, right? And and I'm wondering in the context of you know reporters and their editors, what are some things that you know tech companies should think about? as they're looking to pitch a story or, you know, get their attention? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's interesting because, you know, um, I know why you asked it. And and, then the question was specifically about reporters. And what I always ask a a company, if like, if I'm meeting the comms lead or, you know, anybody uh, that I'm going to work with or just having lunch with somebody, I always ask, who is your audience? Like, it has to start there. Like, who... Are you trying to tell your, like I said earlier, I'm like my job among other things is to help a company tell its story. So great. Who's the audience for that story? Of course, usually it's, you know, whoever is wants they want to like, you know, it's a sales thing, right? It's whoever they want 
to buy their their service or their product. But sometimes it's well, you know what? It's our, it's the investor community because we're trying to raise a Series D or whatever. So, the, you know, the audience is there, there's usually more than one. But I always ask that, and I'm always really really surprised when. I get an answer where like, they don't actually really know exactly who the audience is. Like the answer is, well, it's everybody or, you know, it's, it's technology buyers. And it's like, Ooh. So one thing is just to really figure that out. Like who exactly are you trying to get these messages to? Then, you know, what, what I love to do in my role is, is reverse engineer that and then be like, okay, great. So, you know, your, your audience is the CIO and the CTO. So what we're going to do is figure out, well, I already know the answer to this one, but like, where do those people get their information? So funny enough, another piece of research element does is we've partnered with LinkedIn and we do these B2B studies about content that like almost every company, you know, generates owned content and they have like a B2B program and whatnot. Funny enough, C-level decision makers still rely on newsletters, like email newsletters, which, you know, I think a lot of people would think like, really? But they do. And we know that because we asked them. So, you know, your pitches like media wise should go to like the Axioses of the world or the Bloomers of the world in the old days when protocol was a thing because they had a lot of newsletters. So it's like you have to kind of figure out where does your audience get its information and then you reverse engineer your programming so that you're hitting them laser focused. And it isn't always media. In fact, sometimes I will meet with companies and you know, after talking a little bit, I'm like, you know what you, you know, they, they come to me and they say, you know, we just need to get an article in the New York times. And it's like, well, first of all, <laughs> that's really, really difficult um, to do. And it takes years, but, right. but is that really what you want? Because the buyer you're telling me about, they don't get their information from the New York times. They, they're actually like, let's say it's the developer community, you know? Okay. That's like, those, that's like user user groups, events, you know, they're very networked. They don't, you know, so you kind of have to figure that out. And sometimes I'll say, you don't need, you don't need a media program. You're wasting your money. You need like a targeted, you know, ABM program or something like that. So again, just understanding who that audience is, is really going to kind of everything ladders down from there. So you also raised the point about kind of reaching your audience where they already are. And you referenced a couple of newsletters, for example, that, um, you know, are, are pretty widely read. Um, do, do you also see companies having success kind of developing their own audience over time? Or maybe they're they're trying to, like, you know, develop their own newsletter of some sort. And, and, and I guess that raises a larger question of really about thought leadership. Like, how can a small company that has limited resources kind of establish itself as a thought leader um, in terms of the space that it's it's addressing? That's a great question, Skip. Well, um, and funny enough, this is something that happens quite a bit. Like there's certain companies and clients that are just like, they just put press releases out all the time, right? There's others, which I wouldn't recommend, by the way. There's others where it's like, it's kind of few and far between. Like the new, the, the news, um, you know, pegs are maybe like weeks apart where it's like, you know what, we're not going to have a new product out for like two months. What are we going to do? Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head. If, if you want to be, if, if you want your audience to sort of respect the company, you know, they, um, it's, it's more than just like, oh yeah, this product is great. 
or the service is great. It's like the people who are behind it, you know, are subject matter experts on a certain topic that's re related to the in industry. So going back to AI, if you have like an AI, um, like an AI guru at your company or somebody who's been in the industry for a bit, you know, that's the kind of person that you could build uh, a thought leadership program around, but they have to be saying something that not everybody else is saying, right? They have to have a, put a stake in the ground and say something. The other really effective way is, um, is data-driven storytelling. And so there's a couple ways to do that. One of them is the obvious where you do like a survey. And, and even then, sometimes surveys are a little bit hard to place because there's a lot of data out there. And again, it has to be something that, you know, is like new and interesting. But the other one, the other way is like if a company is sitting on its own data, and I'll give you a great example. So one of our um, current clients is called Eightfold AI, and they use AI for HR. They basically help HR professionals hire people based on what that person has the potential to do based on their experience, as opposed to like what they've done in the past. And there's other nuances to it. I'm really simplifying it. But um, as you can imagine, they're sitting on a mound of, of data that has to do with, with HR and the workforce. And they were able to actually put together a unique viewpoint when the CHIPS Act was signed. And you know the idea was to bring um, chip manufacturing back to the United States. Well, Eightfold was able to say, listen, that's great, obviously. But to make that a success, you would need another 80,000 people. I think it was 80, 80,000 people who don't you, who don't exist right now that have skills to work in that industry. And Skip, I'm telling you, man, we placed that stat for like a year and a half because nobody else had it. It was sort of contentious, right? It was like, hmm, you know, um, and you got to think about like, again, people are looking, for, the media is looking for things that are going to be a little bit head turning, you know, not sensationalism. I'm not talking about making something up or saying something super controversial, but just something that, you know, that is un a unique viewpoint that is relevant to like what's going on in the world today. And so, for example, that stat just got us loads of mileage. And, um, and I know for a fact, the other thing to think about is when you get a media hit, what are you doing with it? Right. Because, excuse me, it'll just live, you know, for a week and then go away. You got to put paid behind it and, you know, use it as part of your ABM strategy, things like that. That's great. That's definitely a valuable advice. Um, and I think too, like we've covered so far some examples where tactically companies can be very proactive in getting their message out there. And I'm wondering if we could shift a little bit and talk about what are some of the areas where, you know, being prepared uh, for the inevitable thing that goes sideways, right? A, a data breach, or there's a cybersecurity issue, or a product ends up going completely sideways and mm -hmm. a customer, you know, complaint goes viral, right? So, so the things that um, are likely to happen at some point and companies should be prepared for. So what do you, what do you tell companies you're working with in terms of how to um, be ready uh, for, for the inevitable? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's sort of a case by case. Um, there's some situations where, you know, the best course of action is to not do anything because a lot of times what happens is if you, um, you know, if you put yourself out there, you just extend the news cycle. 
but there are a lot of cases where, you know, something does need to happen. And, um, in that case, I think it, it, a lot of times, like mm-hmm. the advice we always give is just be honest. Like if a mistake was made, you have to admit to the mistake and then you have to discuss what you're doing about it and what you're going to do so it doesn't happen again. And, you know, again, that's something that we advise our clients on, but it just depends on what their industry is and what those, you know, what those types of things might be. But that's kind of the playbook is like, again, mm-hmm. you got to hold on one sec. <clears throat> Sorry, I've been talking way too much today. Um, no worries. You know, again, go laddering back to trust. You know, it's all, it's all about trust and relationships in business, right? I mean, we all know that. It's the same way with trust in the media. It's the same way with, you know, trust with your customers. So if a company makes a mistake or has something happen to it that's negative, the, the best thing they can do is within reason, of course, is to, you know, admit what happened and then say why it's not going to happen again. And then make sure it doesn't happen again. <laughs> <Otherwise, Right. laughs> I mean, you've heard that old adage, right? It take, you know, you built trust for five years and you can break it in five minutes. So, um, yeah. So that's what I would generally advise. But then we need to kind of drill into it and figure out like, well, what is this company exactly doing? What are the possible pitfalls that could happen? Yeah. Yep. And, and that raises a, a great point too about, um, you know, how exactly, uh, do companies work with with agencies like like yours or or others you know it's like what are there certain best practices there and how early should companies consider in their development getting engaged with you know a pr communications firm yeah that's that's a, a that's an interesting question and i think it 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 always again to me ladders back to the whole audience question because you know, it, uh, I mean, you know, the business person in me wants to say, well, always at any time, <laughs> but again, like I say, sometimes I'll meet a company, you know, and, and after having, you know, having a good long chat, I'm just, I, I'm honest. And I just say, you know, I just don't think you're, I don't think you need an agency right now. I think what you need is a consultant. You know, I think what you need is somebody who can write a lot of great content and put it up on, you know, like this is another Edelman adage. Every company is a publisher or should be, you know, again, just like the notion of owned coverage, uh, meaning that it's an article that you write, you know, and it's not just on your own blog, but it, I mean, most publications will, will take contributed content, especially niche verticals, you know, because um, we haven't talked about this just yet, but the media landscape, you know, there's fewer reporters, there's fewer outlets. You know, the reporters that are left are asked to do way more with way less. And, um, you know, so they're open to uh, opinion pieces or like tips and tricks or, you know, predictions for the next year or things like that. So getting back to your question, you know, sometimes they'll say like, look, you don't really need like an always on PR firm at this stage, what you really need to do is just sort of build the foundation of, you know, of the visibility of your company and really understand who that audience is. And then let's talk, you know, and then we can build like some strategy that, that goes across like a whole bunch of different, um, whole bunch of different programs and, and, and means, you know, to get to that audience. So 
that's kind of the first conversation I have is I just, I'm really just trying to understand where a company is at and what they, you know, who they're really trying to connect with and why, where they're at. That's great. No, that's great advice. Um, I'm wondering too, um, you know, if we look at what things have changed since the start of the pandemic um, versus today, um, you know, in, in our world, in association land, as it were, there's definitely some things that have stuck in the way of new trends. And then there's things that are kind of reverting back to, you know, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. One thing I've noticed is that when it comes to uh, the proliferation of like digital forms of communication and more hybrid and remote work too, in particular, there's a lot more noise, uh, it seems, in terms of um, both content and email marketing and, um, and, and just a lot more like digital stuff out there, right, on a regular basis. And I'm wondering, yeah. are, are there certain things that you've seen over the last few years that are, are kind of newer trends there around how to cut through the noise that companies should try to keep top of mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because um, this is like maybe one of the most important things I could I could tell the tech community. And it goes back to that survey I was talking about that we do with LinkedIn every year. And again, um, it's about B2B content. So it's, it's basically if you have an, you know, an, an ABM program or like a content generation program, this is exactly relating to that. So what we found, again, by polling actual C-level decision makers at companies, is that if content that, um, to your point, Skip, you know, all this digital content that companies are creating, for example, and the different ways that that gets out, whether that's their own newsletter or their own like lead gen program, if that content is really good, then... Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's a high, high probability that they are going to be in the decision set in terms of like, I want to talk to that company. They seem smart. They seem like they know what they're doing. We should talk to them for sure. So that's, you know, kind of a no brainer, I guess. But the converse was really true. If it was done poorly, it immediately knocks the company out of the decision set. So it's like you have to, if you, if you have a, a plan where you're creating, you know, content, it's got to be good. And if it isn't, you're kind of, you're almost like shooting yourself in the foot. Um, so that's one thing I'll say. The other thing I'll say is that, um, which is more of a positive, is you're asking like what's kind of maybe rebounded since the the craziness of the pandemic. So Yes, reporters are, you know, super stretched and all that, but the the notion of in person is is kind of back. And um and that means, you know, media going to trade shows, media being more willing to do like a one-on-one like a coffee meeting or whatever. And again, you know, this has to be presented in a way that you know, you're not asking the media to do something for you. It's more like, look, I could be I could be of help to you. You know what I mean? Like I can give you data and insights that you cannot get anywhere else, such as that eightfold uh, semiconductor stat I gave you earlier. You know, it's got to be kind of a mutual offer, but um, in-person has rebounded in a way that like, I think may happen a little quicker than, than people thought it would. So there's a couple, couple of points to your question. No, that's great. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit uh, off, um, hopefully not on a, a, a complete tangent, but 
you know, you could take your um your sort of Edelman hat off for a second. Just you know, Paul, the the comms and and PR expert who happens to you know uh, be be in the area in the Northwest. Like what 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 are you seeing in terms of um you know the national perception related to Portland um. And, you know, most people you talk to in recent years would say, you know, one of the challenges facing Portland right now is a national perception problem. Yeah. And, and so what, what are some things that, that you're seeing out there that maybe um, point to that, that trend, but then also personally, what, what do you see as a potential, um, you know, path forward for helping to correct that uh, oh, in, man. in the national context? Yeah. I don't know. I, I wish I could. Uh, if I had the answer to that, I'd start my own consulting firm. <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, Skip, I think, you know, again, I'll take my Edelman hat off for a second, but with with it on or off, it's the same answer. Like, I, it feels like the New York Times has some kind of like three times a year qu- quota to do some crappy article about Portland. I mean, you know, and, and until that changes... I, you know, this is, this is the other thing is um, it's just tough, right? Like I think we all thought before the, I mean, I don't know, as soon as the pandemic hit and everything else that's happened since then in terms of politics in the U S all the wars, you know, all the, you know, it's like, there's never a moment where there is a news lull of some crazy stuff happening somewhere in the world and that's tough to break through right it's really really tough to break through and so you know the bar is just so so high unless you're like a public company and you know that's different then you could we could get you on cnbc or bloomberg talking about your earnings talking about you know how your company's transforming but like man to like break through that insane news cycle where there literally just does not seem to be a slow day much less slow week it's just hard it's just hard and that and and that's not really answering your portland question that's just for like you know setting a reality check for any company that says you know hey i want to get in the you know front page of new york times or something or get on cnbc again i question if there's even value in that aside from if you're trying to raise money or just awareness for the brand but there's there's more laser targeted ways to get to your audience than something like that. But in terms of your Portland question, I mean, I think that there just sort of has to be a kind of an inverse campaign where any success that we have, you know, gets trumpeted. Um, And unfortunately, you know, unfortunately that's not generally what opens, you know, that's not generally what, you know, I have to do a news. I mean, this is crazy, right? Cause it's my business, but sometimes I do a media freeze myself. I'm like, I'm not going to go on CNN and New York times today. I just don't want to know what's happening because it's all negative. And, um, there's just a fatigue, right? So I know that like a positive Portland story is going to be harder to secure than all the negative ones. But I think that if there really was some kind of like meaningful, you know, change, um, that's that's going to be the thing that starts to turn it with the national perspective or perception rather but you know that's a multi multi probably a multi-year effort you probably know that better than i do skip <laughs> <laughs> well just a, a a positive data point uh this morning i was meeting with um with someone who's in from out of town 
company that does a lot of business with uh, semiconductor firms as well as some clean tech and and also municipalities. And and you know he was he was saying just you know he sees an opportunity for more um, uh, innovation and work going on here. And and after our conversation, he's like, you know, honestly, I, I I was excited about the area even before our conversation. But he's like, there's a lot more depth and activity and really innovative projects going on here than I was even aware. Yeah. And so I think it's it's a it's not a new problem for this area uh, in terms of there's been some great stuff going on for a long time on a regular basis. And it's often mm-hmm. not really talked about and not shared widely beyond, you know, right. Kind of the local crowd, if you will. But sure. I, I think you're right. There's there's definitely a challenge there. And it's 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 a long term multi pronged one. But I do think that we've got some interesting uh material to work with um i agree and, you know, yeah and you know where my you know our office is right by pioneer courthouse square so i'm down here yeah. you know three, three four times a, a, uh three four days a week i've noticed change i've absolutely noticed change in the last you know two or three months in terms of just like it feels like everything's bouncing back a bit um you know there's good energy you know there's more places open it's feeling less uh you know less kind of pandemic era. And, um, and I, and I, again, I just think that that takes time to trickle um, even through our own city, much less nationwide. I also saw an interesting article. I'm sure you read, right. Which was that, you know, with the return to office now being, you know, for, for most part hybrid everywhere, the, the bounce back on people coming to downtown is probably close to hitting the ceiling. And, there was this whole notion of like, well, you know what? Downtown just needs to be more like where people also live, not just work. And uh, I know a lot of cities face that, but, um, you know, obviously that's a multi-year thing too. But I think that's certainly, uh, you know, the, I think there's kind of a transformation that, that'll probably happen over time. I think we're on the same page. Totally agree. Um so I want to say thank you for for taking some time out of your your busy schedule to join us. and. Um, as we wrap up, like any, any sort of final words here for our audience? I just, I mean, I hope it was helpful. I was riffing, you know, I don't do a lot of these, but um, you know, my role in, in, in the office here is I, uh, I'm an SVP on the, in the tech, you know, the tech group. And despite my answer, which was, you know, um, sometimes companies are not ready. They don't know. Right. So like, I, I'm always open to talking to anybody, right? So if like, if any company is just like, you know what, I'm super interested in just like maybe taking this to part two and spitballing a little bit, like, you know, here's what we're doing with our comms. Like, you know, what should, what are we missing? You know, what, um, whatever, because we work with companies of all sizes, you know what I mean? I took a company out of stealth mode. It um, it was like a real estate technology company out of Chicago, interestingly, like, um, you know, forget series A, B, C, D, they, they were, they didn't even, they weren't even on the radar. So like we work with companies of all sizes in tech and I mean, you know, I hope you hear it in my voice, but like I've, I've been at Edelman now for 25 years as of, uh, last Sunday, I'm just super passionate about technology. I think it's just, um, it's just a fun space to be in. The stories are amazing in Portland and, and, or all of Oregon, really. It's just a vibrant community. We've worked with like, you know, dozens of companies here. And um, I just, you know, I just love what I do. So like if any company that's listening to this is just like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious as to like, you know, what your feedback might be. I'm always up for a coffee or a chat. So that's that's what I'll leave you with. Awesome. 
Well, thanks again, Paul. It was, it was a pleasure to have you on as always. And um, yeah, look forward to, to doing this again. Right on. Thank you, Skip. I really appreciate it, man.